I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 136 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my beloved husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Love you. <laughs> a little Valentine's treat for everyone. Andrew, are you experiencing the polar vortex right now? I can't remember which parts of the country get it. It wasn't particularly cold, but we did have snow. What's your favorite reading weather? Because I was really enjoying um, curling up with a good book with the rain, but then after three days of it, I got a little over it. don't know that I have a particular favorite. I will say I get most of my reading done in the winter, and it probably actually is weather-related now that I think about it. I do love the classic, you know, sit by a big old window, then you can hear the tap tap into the rain. Got a good book. When I used to babysit, I, you know, one of the joys of babysitting is you get to see into other people's homes. Mm. Yeah. Whenever I would go to a new home, I'd be like, oh, I could read in that chair. (laughs) I could read on that couch. That's exactly what you want your babysitter to be like. (laughs) Guys, I have something to tell you. Is it more shame? It's more shame. Oh, no. Shame. Um, anybody who follows our Instagram will see that I went to a library book sale over the weekend and I got six more books. Six more books. So so the actual number on the to-read list is 142 unread books. Wow. Bailey, you started this as a way to read your books on your shelf and you have somehow yeah. jumped nearly 20 books in about a month. This is going to be the worst time of the year because we got the holidays, we got the library book sale, which comes but library twice a book year. Library book sale? No, it happens like every other month. This library book sale was lit, you guys. <laughs> they had so many books, and I, I got six, but I put back three. I almost got nine. Not to give away personal details about Dylan and Billy, they live next door to a library, which is a bad place to be if you want to thin out your li- your personal library. Stalkers, you don't know what library, but it's a library in Los Angeles, and we live next door. And let's just say that it's a neighborhood that has some like some bougie people that maybe were uh, Marie Kondoing away some of their favorite books. And so there were a lot of good books there. Hmm. There was also I won't say who, but there was also a celebrity that was looking through the books next to us. Wait a minute. Why can't you say what celebrity? I guess I can. Yeah, that's like the stuff people want to hear. So it's um, uh, what's his name? Jake Weissman. Oh, the guy from Corporate? Yeah, the guy who created Corporate, the stars in it, and he w- and I know him from watching Corporate, but from also listening to him on a podcast about cats called The Purrcast, and he talks a lot about his cats that he loves, and I really wanted to go out to him and be like, so how's Pebbles doing? I bet that's appropriate. I just felt like he's, he was in his zone. He was getting as big a stack as I was. It was like, this is a sacred time, being at the library book sale time. Also, six books, $3. Favorite book you got? All right, well... I got The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen, which you guys told me was a bad book. Hashtag bad book. If you had just asked me and Andrew, like you should for every book purchase, we could have told you no. Well, that's my bad. I got Ready Player One. I got this book called Schooled, which I'm interested in because I used to be a teacher. Hmm. I got one called Super Sad True Love Story, one called The Wangs Versus the World, and then Here I Am, the latest Jonathan Saffron Four. So I think it's pretty solid for $3. Wait, can I can I tell a quick Jonathan Safran Forer story? Please do. So, um, at the college I went to, every year they have a lecture by... Well, they have lectures all over the time, but there's an annual lecture that's a big deal where they bring an author in. And it's a lecture followed by a Q&A. So, Jonathan Safran Forer 
is the guest of honor. He goes and he does his lecture, uh, and they open the floor. And the first question is from this freshman who raises his hand <laughs> and says, "Hi, big fan. I just wanted to know when you walk into your house, do you walk into the Jonathan Safran foyer?" <laughs> And he was not amused. His reaction was, you expect that at some schools, but you don't expect that at blank, the school I went to. Wow. Whoa. And I was like, dude, you could have scored so many cool points if you were just chill about that, but whatever. Yeah. Um, Well, Bailey, I think you should take your book and throw it in the trash. Oh, no. And now that we know he's a jerk. (laughs) And that is the official uh, stance of this podcast on Jonathan Safra I'm going to make a commitment right now. I'm going to not get a new book until my birthday in July. Bum, bum, bum. I Let's see if you can stick you. to it. <laughs> there is one book that I pre-ordered, so I don't think that counts. <laughs> well, see, I was justified in my not believing you. You guys might be proud that in getting these six new books, I had to make room on my shelf. So I got rid of six old books. And I just oh, put okay. them by the mailboxes in our apartment complex, hoping someone will take them. Oh, is that what all the wildest crappy books are down there? <laughs> Their apartment has a weird tradition where they're, all the people in it appear to like leave books down by the front entrance whenever they want. So I'll come in and I'll be like, oh, who's left books? And so I just saw a big old stack of books and they were all terrible. And I was like, oh, who left these books? And now I know. I actually walk by the stack a lot to see if anybody's taken it. I thought you were going to say you walk past the stack and you forget. You put them there and you're like, ooh, books. <laughs> there was one. They took a book and then they brought it back. So I wonder what happened there. <laughs> they just really needed a book to kill a spider. <laughs> <laughs> this is perfect. All right. So this week on the to read list, Toby has the book to review. And the book is da 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 da. Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. That's all it deserves. No. Um, so, <laughs> so this is a this is a writing advice book. Uh, it has a subtitle uh, called Freeing the Writer Within. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that this was chosen so early in the podcast. I was like, oh, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things you don't want to necessarily walk around holding this in front of your face, advertising that you're reading it. Like, I'm trying to be a writer. Exactly. Um, and so I was like, oh, great. I get to talk about this on the podcast. What, uh, what uh, everyone will know now. But anyway, um, as long as I'm going to talk about it, I'll say I've read a fair amount of writing advice books. Um, and I think they definitely range uh, in quality, as all books do. I'm always skeptical because I've read a bunch of writing books uh, about reading a writing book from someone I've never even heard of. I, I've only probably read and enjoyed ones from people that I know of and who are very successful writers and whose work I enjoy. Um, I think that just tends to be because, you know, you sort of get a kind of a window into somebody's mind when you read and enjoy their writing. And so if they write, if you enjoy their books, you're probably going to enjoy their writing advice book unless they're a total kook in, um, in real life. So I'd never heard of Natalie Goldberg. Have you guys ever heard this name before? No, yeah. I've never heard of this book. Nope. Yeah. Oh, I'd only I'd actually only heard it referenced in another writing book. Oh. So I and it, I was at a secondhand bookstore and I saw it and I was like, oh, I'll grab it. So Natalie Goldberg is more famous for being a poet. I found out than being a. She did write some prose. She has a couple published prose books, but she's more famous as a poet. And I would classify this much, much more as a poetry writing advice book oh, than yeah. a prose writing advice book. So yeah, no, this is. I I think it should have a title on it somewhere where it's like. This is mostly about writing poetry. Yeah, writing down the 
bones, freeing the poet within. Yeah, freeing the poet, exactly. It almost feels like she's cheating. Like every 10th piece of advice, she's like, oh, instead of saying poems, I'm going to say books. And it's like, nah, lady. Um, One of the quotes on the back, one of the blurbs on the back, which is quite a long blurb, is from um, Robert Persick. Um, who is author of a book that many people I think will have heard of called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, a lot of people read that in high school. Um, Have you guys? So has anyone read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? No. No, I haven't read it. Good, don't read it. It's not not good. I mean, uh, it is very... So it, it, I'm, the only reason I mention it is because it in this book, I think more people would have heard of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance than this book. Yeah. They're very similar in that both of the authors are very much into Zen philosophy and their books read like they are lightly stoned. It's a lot of like hypnotic language, a lot about how meditation is the root of every creative endeavor. Um, some people really love the Robert Persick book. I It wasn't for me. This book is not for me. I wanted to read you an excerpt that's a bit long, but I think it'll give you an idea of what this book is like. Okay, this is... Um, oh, so each of the... Uh, the book is divided into little sections, little tiny chapters, each of them no more than like two or three pages long. This one is called A Story Circle. There were several times in Taos, and she refers to the place that she lives in Taos, New Mexico, and you know it by the end of the book because she says it like 800 times. It's so annoying. It's really annoying. Um, There are several times in Taos that I called a storytelling circle. I invited friends from the surrounding hills of Talpa, Carson, Arroyo Hondo, and Arroyo Seco to gather in my home. We sat in a circle on the floor. Next door you could hear the bells on Shell's goats, and I knew that Bill Montoya was once again sneaking his sheep near our garden where they could graze on the unusually long pigweed that grew there. Not terrible. Okay, sure. So, not necessarily writing advice. I lit a candle in the middle of our circle of about ten people. Lighting a candle helps to create a sense of magic. Sure. If you So she encourages you to flip to any page and, you know, she says you don't have to read this book in a row. You do any, you know, any of them will apply to your writing life. And you get the, this is the kind of thing where it's like, well, this is serious writing advice to her. Like, here we go. Um, lighting a candle helps to create a sense of magic. Then I ask them, okay, tell me about a time you were really happy. At other t- circles I've asked, tell us about a place you really love. Tell us a time that you were really down. Tell us the most extraordinary story you know. Tell a story you love to tell. Or give us a magic moment that you remember from last week. <laughs> from last week, okay. Yeah. I'd say there are 10 nuggets of solid writing advice that uh, are in this book. Um, all of which I'd heard before in other books explained in much more detail, in much more depth, and much better. This is the kind of book I generally split writing books into two categories, one of which is nuts and bolts, how to, imp- how to improve prose, how to you know, really get down to stuff, and then there's ones like this. Um, and I don't mind ones like this that are not so nuts and bolts, but if anyone was interested in a book like this, if this kind of sounds like your jam, pick up uh, Steering the Craft by Ursula K. Le Guin. That is a much, much, much better version of this. Whereas this one, um, I didn't find helpful and I found the tone uh, irritating. I had a similar experience. I read this book um, in college when I was taking a creative writing class called From Where You Dream. The thesis is when you wake up, start writing right away, like access like your dream place. And I'm like, okay, but it's going to be all weird and mostly about me repacking the same box over and over again because that's my dream over and over. Um, What? (laughs) 
<laughs> you have dreams about repacking the same box? reoccurring nightmares where I have to pack up my house as quickly as possible. <laughs> I have to get all my books. And I have, like, a lot of fear, and I'll wake up afraid that, like, I couldn't carry both cats at once out the door. <laughs> anyway, from where you dream, I thought, was just kind of, like, touchy-feely and just not practical. I respond more to the practical stuff, like, on writing by Stephen King. Yep. Even, like, Bird by Burr by yep. Anne Lamont. I enjoyed Bird by Bird. Um, you made me remember why I was so frustrated with this book is that when I was a kid and interested in writing, this was the kind of book that I found a lot of. And it really bummed me out and made me write less, I think, because books like this tend to seem to assume that you already live this like life of a woman who's living in Taos, New Mexico. Um, and if and if you don't relate to the book, it can be easy to be re- really dispirited, as I was when I was a kid, where I was like, I guess that's just not who I am. Like, I'm not a writerly person because I don't feel like I don't relate to this at all. So if I feel like if someone had put like, yeah, like the Stephen King on writing or um, there's one, there's a really good one called Writing Tools by someone whose name I forget. Um but yeah, those there's like really, really practical stuff where it just seems like stuff you can get your teeth into and, and learn from immediately. Andrew, have you ever read any writing um, books like this? Um, not, I don't think a whole book. I mean, I have a copy of The Elements of Style, which is more technical. Um, you take a candle, you look at your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you get rid of all the adverbs. <laughs> um, and other than that, I've read like articles, but I don't know that I've ever sat down and uh read a whole book all right so toby how many stars then i gave it two stars dose that's because i actively disliked it but not a one star not a one star a one star i've i've given out very few one stars. like one star is like it made me so angry that i wanted to punish it you know this one is like i can i could admit to myself this is not my book i don't think it's poorly written necessarily I just think that for me, Goodreads ratings especially factor hugely, like my personal feelings factor hugely because it's my Goodreads profile. You know, I'm not trying, I'm not evaluating for the New York Times or whatever. So yeah, I dislike this book. Other people might like it. I don't think it's an awful like waste of paper, but I would not recommend it to anyone. Even if they, even if they seem like they were interested in this kind of writing advice book, I would point them towards one of the other ones you mentioned. I would not recommend them to anyone. Quote from Toby. Yeah. Bold. Sorry, Natalie Goldberg. She's doing fine. Well, actually, she's not doing that fine. Oh, no. Are you going to make me feel bad for trashing this woman's book? Well, her most recent book is actually a memoir called Let the Whole Thundering World Come Home. And it's about uh, her struggle with her recent struggle with cancer and her um, partner's (laughs) concurrent diagnosis with cancer. (laughs) And there was no way... Like you're not expected to know that, Toby, and I don't think you should oh feel God. bad at all about your review. But just it's too late. So, if it's any consolation, Toby, um, I think she might agree with at least one of your notes. Um, mm-hmm. So, this is from an interview she gave uh, to the Sun magazine. She says, "I'm a little embarrassed by the confidence of that 36-year-old, referring to how old she was when she wrote this book. I just told people what to do. Now I would say <laughs> you have to find your own way, which I." <laughs> I think sort of addresses part of what you had a problem with. Wow, okay. All right, yeah, fair enough. Any yeah. any other facts that will make us completely feel bad for what we just said? <laughs> no, um, I don't think so. Uh, interesting fact is the initial printing was only 10,000 copies, but it was a surprise hit and uh, has now sold more than a million copy in 10 different languages and has been printed over 33 times. I wonder why it's such a hit with people. I don't know. 
All right, well, writing down the bones by Natalie Goldberg, two stars. Okay, guys, this week I read Off My Shelf, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Toby loves this book, right? Yeah, I like it. I like it pretty good. <laughs> I as soon as I started reading it, I said, Toby, I have really strong feelings about this, but I don't want to say if they're positive or negative. <laughs> so, Toby, I know you love this book. And I know it's one of your top three of all time. But the thing is, is I also love this book! Yes! Yes! Bailey, that was really convincing lying. I could see right through you. Well, as soon as you came by and I was reading it and I had like, I had many cat post-its sticking out of it. And you're like, hmm, interesting. I'm like, they could be parts I hated. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's believable. Because yeah, the thing is, is when you when you texted me that you said I have strong feelings, I can see how people would hate it. Yeah, it's it a strong flavor. So, right. But it's, it, you're talking about it. Sorry. So this book, um, essentially, it is, I would say it's um, Jane Austen meets not Harry Potter, but like the Magicians or something like that. It's a comedy of manners slash fantasy book slash gothic book set during the Regency period in England, but it's an alternative history where in this world, magic is real. And magic used to be present in England, but it's gone. And all of a sudden it's back, but only with two men, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And it's about what they do with that magic and how they fight this growing evil force called the Raven King. Would you say that that's good, Toby? It's very good. So I can see why people don't might not like it because first of all, my copy was 782 pages, but on Goodreads, I think some copies, like paperbacks, maybe were over a thousand. So it's long. It is written in kind of this Austin, witty style that some people might find old fashioned or not fun. She also, Susanna Clark, includes a ton of footnotes, which blow out her world. She'll, you know, reference a certain spell and then in the footnote, which may be over two pages long, describe what the spell is and the last time that it was used and what happened. And you could totally skip them, but they're so interesting and they just add so much like richness and flavor to the world. However, you might think, who is this lady with all these footnotes? You know, is she like really pretentious? I could see why. Is that why you think people might not like it? I, yeah, I, I think people might not like it because no matter what you come at this book with a preconceived notion of, if you think it's going to be Austin-like, it's not going to be Austin enough right. for you. If you think it's going to be fantasy, it's not going to be pure fantasy enough for you. Basically, like, it doesn't give you one of any pre-established genres. I think it literally, I mean, it doesn't create a new genre, but it's, it's, it's definitely a mashup. so well mixed. It feels like something absolutely new. Right. And when I read it, it probably took me 100 pages to be like, well, this is what she's... Now I'm on board. Right. Because at the beginning, you're like, well... And she takes her time. It starts with Mr. Norrell, who has, you know, humorously described as sort of the boring guy, the fearful guy who doesn't want to do anything. And so it's just Mr. Norrell for maybe 150 pages, a lot of time. Um, and so you might be like, get to the point already. Like, where's Jonathan Strange? So I could see how that would really annoy people. But... From the first sentence, I just fell in love with this book. I just fell in love with the world of it, and it just kind of hypnotized me. What was the first sentence, Bailey? Well, thanks, Andrew. Okay. Some years ago, there was in the city of York a society of magicians. That's the first sentence, but I'll read the second one, too. They met upon the third Wednesday of every month and read each other long, dull papers upon the history of English magic. It sets up the world. 
you're like, okay, this is realistic. It sets up the time period, but it also sets up her humor. And then the next page was another quote that I... This is sort of when she sets up the premise. She says, okay. Mr. Segundus wished to know, he said, why modern magicians were unable to work the magic they wrote about. In short, he wished to know why there was no more magic in England. It was the most commonplace question in the world. It was the question which, sooner or later, every child in the kingdom asked his governess or his schoolmaster or his parent. Yet the learned members of the York Society did not at all like hearing it asked. And the reason was this. They were no more able to answer it than anyone else. It just, it just sets up immediately, like, there's these dudes. They're hanging out. They're obsessed with themselves. They're, you know, talking about nothing. So they're like gatekeeping, basically. They're like hobbyists yeah. who like won't, you know. They're, they're the definition of those who can't do, like, yeah. talk about it. And that was one of the other, and we're just talking about reasons why people might not like it. Yeah, yeah. But I remember, um, I remember having a bad reaction to that. I was enjoying it right from the beginning. But I, I remember being like, oh, no magic? Yeah, right. But it, it sets the hook in you, you know. You're, you're really excited to figure out what happens. Yeah, and, and right away, once the magic starts, it gets you. It's it's good. Bailey, I have one question for yes. you. What did you think of The Man with the Thistledown Hair? Best book villain ever. He is an incredible villain. He is charming, but also, like, evil. I especially love his relationship with this one character, Stephen Black. He basically, like, kidnaps this guy, and this guy has to pretend to be friends with him, but the whole time he's, like, killing people and doing things, and you're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I can't believe this people... I can't believe these people are trying to kill me. At the same time, he's like, I'm gonna destroy or do whatever I want. And the whole time you're like, who is this guy? Because he doesn't have a specific name, and the way it all comes out is really good. It's not necessarily what you'd predict, and... I, I, he was the thing that stuck, stood out to me most in the book, and it was the best. It's like to this day, I think it's like the one of the scariest villains and one of the best representations of magic and another world. Yes, because he's unknowable. He's yeah. so weird. Like his motivations don't make any sense to us. Right. He's from another world. He does exactly his own thing. How right. it would be like if someone, if some being from another world came over and started doing things, we'd be like, well, that doesn't, I don't see what his aim is. I don't right. see what, and he does have an aim that you can understand eventually in the book. But for a lot of what he does, it just seems silly or weird. And that adds like his evilness. Cause he's just doing stuff capriciously and he's, yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. Incredible villain. She also, in general, has a lot of really dark, scary descriptions, dark, scary ideas of like how they use the magic and what the threat looks like. You mentioned gothic last, but I might even put it first. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Definitely gothic, gothic horror. Um, I love the descriptions of uh, Mr. Norrell's library. A big part of the plot is that he learns the magic from books, whereas Jonathan Strange is just kind of comes naturally to him. It's innate in him. And Mr. Norrell hoards all of the books on magic in the entire country. Even Jonathan Strange, he's like, oh, I guess you can borrow this one, but bring it back right away and don't hurt it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it definitely appealed to me. I feel like he would be a listener of this podcast. Also, speaking of that, I want to show a picture. I, Andrew can't see, but Toby can describe it. There are also pictures periodically throughout. Yeah. That look like old engravings from like an Austin novel. But in this picture, it's of the guys visiting Mr. Norrell's library and they're looking at all the books and they're so Excited. Yeah. yeah. This guy's like got his head thrown back. He looks like a bit of a dandy. He's got like tail, like a tail coat. He's got like a white wig on, but his arms are up like an exaltation. Like, like a cheerleader. oh my God. <laughs> OMG. Yeah. All these books. Yeah. Um, I also really loved the way she incorporated 
real life history into it. it like for example, um, Jonathan Strange hangs out with Lord Byron and Mary Shelley when they're, you know, when it's the summer that wasn't a summer and they're all writing Frankenstein and that kind of thing. And it, they, the magicians help out during the Napoleonic Wars and that yeah. kind of, it, really cool. Um, okay, so this is an example of the scariness and this is my last quote. It's on page. <laughs> 512. You get that, readers? <laughs> that was, that's a giant book. In his weakened state, Childermas had been thinking aloud. He had meant to say that if what he had seen was true, then everything that Strange and Norrell had ever done was child's play, and magic was a much stranger and more terrifying thing than any of them had thought of. Strange and Norrell had been merely throwing paper darts about a parlor, while real magic soared and swooped and twisted on great wings in a limitless sky far, far above them. You don't even know what it is, but just the way that she describes it, it's just so ominous, the foreshadowing of, like, what could be happening? Yeah, that's that's a theme I like in a lot of fantasy, um, or the type of fantasy that I tend to enjoy, is the theme that, you know, humans are kind of dipping their pinky toes into yeah. something that could eat them alive. It's like slowly discovering just how dangerous what they're doing is. Right. This book has that perfectly. Uh definitely for me, this is a five star. This is Ooh. one I will keep and cherish on my shelf. First five stars. Um, in terms of the cover, this is, I remember this, seeing this in the shelf when it came out. I think 2004 it came out. The, mine is completely black with white writing, but there were three different versions. There was also a red one and a white one. I think the white one might be my favorite. But it has, you know, the, the, the big title, and then it just has a raven. But when I look at the raven, it looks almost to me like one of those pictures of like, is it an old woman or a young woman? It looks like there's something else to it. Mm. It doesn't look like a regular raven to me. It looks a little off-putting, and I kind of like the mystery of that. Now that you mentioned that, yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, this is the first book on the podcast where I'm like, oh, I actually want to go out and buy a copy of that, like, right Ooh. away. And yeah. um, also the first time on the podcast where I've been worried about, like, getting spoilers in listening mm. to your reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm writing down the bones. There's still plenty of twists and turns. <laughs> Similarly to a couple of other books that we've dealt with on the podcast, this book started as short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Clark used the uh, used the stories to sort of start establishing the universe, and then um, put it together as one manuscript. Eventually, and I, I'm sure also expanded on it there. Bringing up Jane Austen makes a lot of sense. In an interview with the BBC, she listed her top five favorite authors. If you had to guess who they were, who do you think they'd be? This is not the game. Um, I was going to say. And I've given you a major hint by naming one of them at the beginning of this. Jane Austen. I'm going to guess Austen. I'm going to guess Byron. Nope. He's more poet. I'm going to guess Bronte. Nope. I'm going to guess Shelley. Nope. I'm going to guess Neil Gaiman. Yes. Toby, any guesses? I'm trying to think. I was thinking Gaiman. Victor Hugo. My brain is dead. I don't. Maybe I really... as you fall asleep tonight, you're going to be visited by three spirits who tell you how wrong you've oh, been. Oh, Charles Dickens. Duh. There you go. <laughs> um, that makes sense. Yeah, so Jane Austen and Charles Dickens are the two more classic ones she lists. The, the other two hitters. Heaviest of hitters. The other two she lists are Alan Moore, uh, graphic mm-hmm. novel artist of... Watchmen and I should have guessed that. Yep. And then uh, Joss Whedon of uh, Buffy the Vampire oh. Slayer fame. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, an interesting mix of folks. One last fact I'll say because it was sort of brought up earlier in the podcast. In the same BBC interview, she was asked, 
Is there any particular ritual involved in your writing process? Favorite pen, lucky charm, south-facing window? And she said, I can write most places. I like darkened rooms and lamplight and the sound of rain. On sunny afternoons, I've been known to draw the curtains, switch off the light, and play a CD of rain falling. It can create sort of a quiet private world that helps me write sometimes. So after saying she can write most places, she says that she goes out of her way to make it always a rainy room. But By most places, I mean the 18th century. There's also a large internet uh, push to know when that next book is coming out because she has not been very prolific since the publication of this book. So yes, maybe during the run of this podcast... Sometime in 40 years, she will produce another book, but we'll see. Toby, you should send her a copy of Writing Down the Bones. Am I allowed to share a fact? Please do. Okay. Bailey is Googling Susanna Clark facts right now. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> she brought the first story, I think, that you were talking about, Andrew, to a writing class, and her teacher loved it so much that he showed it to his friend, Neil Gaiman, and then she she got the book published wow wow yeah the nice thing about doing research now is you just know that bailey's going to do some of her own so you don't feel like you have to do quite as much heavy lifting on (laughs) (laughs) all right andrew i know that you have a game for us i do in fact um part of the reason i wanted to list her favorite authors is because the game this week involves uh charles dickens so this week we're playing a game called english town or charles dickens character Mm. Now, Toby, you had better ace this because your wife is English and you've lived in London twice, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so... Well, as we all know, because Bailey's married to an American man, she knows the name of every single town in America. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of little teensy tiny towns in England. I bet there are plenty that my wife doesn't know. All right, well, I'm going to win because I lost last time. Hashtag Bailey always wins. (laughs) Bailey never wins, but we'll see this time. But I'm going to give you three names and you're going to tell me if you think that they are a dickens character or if they are a town in england all right bailey since you lost last time you get to go first this time okay yeah all right wackford i really want to know if it's spelled w-a-c-k or w-a-k like how is it spelled i will not answer any questions yeah rude i think it's a dickens character that is Correct. Yeah. All right. Wackford Squeers is a character from Nicholas Nickleby. He's a schoolmaster. Uh, one of many Dickens schoolmasters with very strange names. All right. Toby, are you ready for yours? Yes, I am. Buzzfuzz. Buzzfuzz? This sounds so little like a town name that I'm going to say town name. That is incorrect. Oh. It is a Dickens character. He is I from tried. the Pickwick Papers. His name is Sergeant <sighs> Buzzfuzz. All right. All right. Mamble. I'm going to want to know how it's spelled, but I'm not going to ask it. Why? I, I, think, I think it's a town. Bailey is correct. Two for two. Ooh, two for Mamble two. is an English town. Precious on. All right. Puckle Church. Puckle Church. Puckle Church. Can I have the language of origin? <laughs> Absolutely I'm gonna not. Say, I'm going to say character. Toby, 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 you are wrong. Oh, zero for two. Oh, That's it. Game's nice. over. So Wait. technically Bailey has already won, but I have <laughs> a couple more. What an Oliver twist of a situation. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Nicholas, <right>. kill me. <laughs> All right. So we're going to just do a lightning round. 
because Bailey has already confirmed the win based on the rules. I'm going to say the rest of the ones I have. Pumblechook. Town. No, Dickens character. Great expectations. Uh, Puddle Town. Town. That's correct. I was going to throw that in as a twist. <laughs> <laughs> Plumpton. Yay. Plumpton Town. Person. Uh, it is a town. Oh, I, I'm actually even with Bailey now. Well, too late. <laughs> Pecksniff. Town. Person. Person. <laughs> um, Brian's Puddle. Town. Person. Town. <laughs> and three and three. Finally, Chuzzlewit. Person. Town. It's a person. There's a book called Martin Aww. Chuzzlewit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That was going to be the nice. kicker if we had a final tie, just because I thought it was... Yeah. Sorry, Toby. Such a bleak house for you. Ooh. Your first one was, your first one was better. <laughs> I had such great expectations. <laughs> Hard times, Toby. Hard times. All right. Oh, so man. I hope you guys had fun with that. Uh, it was a fun one to look up. Good game, Andrew. Good game. Good job, Thank me, you. for winning. Good. Great job, Bailey, for winning. Yeah. Okay. Bailey sometimes oh, wins. Less catchy. Hashtag. So my question for you guys this week, based on Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, is what is a book that you fell in love with at first sentence? Mine are uh, Room by Emma Donahue. I love that book. I couldn't put it down. The Southern Reach Trilogy by um, Jeff Vandermeer. And then A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Mm. Those are my top books. Heck yeah. I'd say um, one, I don't know about I don't know about first sentence, but certainly by very early in the book, I knew I was going to love it, is Middlesex by Jeffrey Genides. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. One of those ones where I was like, I don't care if nothing happens in this book. Like we could, she could make sandwiches for the rest of this book. Yeah. I would love it. I don't know of like all time, but a book recently that I've read uh, was the Poisonwood Bible, which I really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Good one. This is not a book that necessarily had me from the first line, but one of my favorite first lines is from Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Have has anybody read that? Yes. Do you know the first line? No. It was um, it's something like there was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> that I think that is was probably and is probably my favorite Narnia book. Yeah. Like by a large margin. It's my favorite too. Now it's time for the choosing. Okay. So for Toby, we have number nine, Blonde by Joyce Carol Oates. Ooh. I'm excited. Another really long one. Toby, have you read any Joyce Carol Oates before? I have read some short stories, and I read one of her, like, easier-to-digest novels. Um, I think every once in a while she kind of knocks off one that's a little bit less literary. So I w- read one called Jack of Spades and really enjoyed it. Um, but no, this would be this will be my first um, big old, you know, brick of hers. But yeah, Andrew, have you read any of her? Um, I've read some short stories, and I recently read Black Girl, White Girl, um, okay. which I liked quite a bit. And for Bailey, we have number 124, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Oh, oh Bailey, you're going to be so happy with this. You just got this t- for me for Christmas. This is one that just got added to the to-read list. Yeah, that's awesome. I am psyched, and it's short and gothic. That's your reward for reading uh, Jonathan yeah. Strange in two weeks, I guess. But you guys, Jonathan Strange was a reward in itself. <laughs> 
Now, just to throw it out there for our listeners who might not be aware, Shirley Jackson also wrote a much more popular uh, scary novel called uh, The Haunting of Hill House. She also yeah. wrote the short story The Lottery, which is dark and twisted. Awesome. I'm excited for that. And Andrew, have you started Let the Great World Spin yet, or are you waiting a little bit? Um, I have started it. I'm not very far, so like I'm about 25 pages in. But it's it's pretty short. Toby has this giant grin on his face. Is it not grabbing you? <laughs> I don't want to tip my hand at all. Tune in um, in two weeks to hear our takes on We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson and Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast or on Facebook and Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Twitter at to read list pod. Please uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us five stars there. Um, some people say you can rate it whatever you want, but I demand five stars. If you're a fan of what you've heard here, find one friend, you know, who also loves books or also loves podcasts and uh, tell them about us. We're a humble little operation, and we could use all the extra friends we could find. Thanks for Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, Dylan for sound recording, and Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for our awesome intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.